sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Canada has long been something of the canary in the coal mine for religious freedom for us here in the United States. There was a recent decision in the Canadian Supreme Court that Americans should pay attention to. We've talked about it before, but today I'm pleased to have the attorney who actually litigated this case to talk about uh, what happened and the implications for us. Attorney Kevin Boonstra, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Trinity Western College University wanted to do a law school, and their plans for a law school fell. Tell us about the school, first of all. Um, It's a Christian university, right? Yeah, it's a Christian university. um, came out of the evangelical free tradition and has uh, maintained close relationships with that denomination over the years. It's the, I think, the largest private university in the country, uh, certainly the largest Christian university. It's a bit of a flagship for the evangelical community in this country. And uh, when you say large, um, what does that mean in Canadian terms, in terms of, do you know what the student body <laughs> like or anything like that? Yeah, I, you know, I think they have about 4,000 undergraduate students each year, something around there. Uh, they've got a lot of different programs, about 40-plus undergraduate programs. They've got a nursing school. They've got an education school, counseling psychology, an MBA program. Uh, it's a full university. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I should think it always does very well. I'd say it's well-respected in the country. Um, you know, in terms of annual rankings, it always does very well. Uh-huh. Okay. In terms of size, it's rather modest by American standards. But, you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of... And it's located in which province? It's in British Columbia, in the Fraser Valley of British Columbia. Got it. And it's beautiful, been here since the 60s. So um, what kind of trouble did they run into in uh, attempting to start a law school? Well, let me just take the story back a little bit. Sure. When they started their education school, which was to educate teachers for the public system, um, they, they ran into some difficulty with what at the time they called their community standards, which was a really a code of conduct that everybody signed on to when they attended Trinity Western. And it said, you know, when you attend here, we expect that you're going to abide by uh, sort of the moral and, and ethical standards of our Christian community. Um, and back in the 90s, when they were doing their education program, the, the regulator said, we think that's discriminatory. Now, it didn't breach any laws. Uh, what they were doing was perfectly permissible. But they said, we think it's discriminatory against members of the LGBT community. Trinity Western litigated that all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada successfully. Um, the Supreme Court of Canada in 2001 said that the, the regulator uh, breached uh, freedom of religion and freedom of association by not approving the education program and effectively ordered an approval, notwithstanding uh, community standards document. So then we fast forward to uh, the early 2010s, and Trinity Western is now uh, taking a next step of creating a law school, which would be the first private law school in the country. Every other law school in Canada is public. Um, they, they got the approvals that they needed from an organization called the Federation of Law Societies of Canada, uh, which represented all the various law societies 
um, whose role it is to admit people to practice law. So graduates would come out and they need obviously to be able to practice law in the various jurisdictions across the country. They also got approval from the Ministry of Advanced Education, part of the British Columbia government. So they had the approvals necessary. But then a couple of the law societies under some fairly intense lobbying wanted to take another look at it. And three of them ended up disallowing graduates coming out of Trinity Western from practicing in their jurisdiction. Uh, Nova Scotia, and then really importantly, both British Columbia in Ontario. And their objection was uh, this code of conduct, the, what was now called the Community Covenant, and it was on really the same ground, saying that, in their view, it discriminated against members of the LGBT community, because notwithstanding same-sex marriage now existed in Canada, uh, people who attended the university would agree that the sexual intimacy belonged only in a marriage between a man and a woman. So each of those law societies said, we're not going to accept your graduates in our jurisdictions. So Trinity West was faced before, with that. after. Was this before or after the law school was actually up and running? Before the law school was up and running. So they needed okay. to have these approvals before they could actually start admitting students to the school. Um, and, and so, as I said, they went and they got the approvals they needed, but then uh, three of the law societies wanted to uh, address it within their own jurisdictions and then effectively disallowed, which, given that this is a, a, that Ontario is the largest jurisdiction in the country and British Columbia is the home jurisdiction for Trinity Western, these were significant issues. So they effectively couldn't open a law school with those rejections in place. So they had no choice sure. but to litigate. And they litigated in all three jurisdictions. Uh, successfully uh, in Nova Scotia through the Court of Appeal there and successfully in British Columbia through the Court of Appeal here. Uh, unfortunately, unsuccessfully in Ontario. Uh, the Nova Scotia Bear Society said, we're not going to take this on any further. And so then we went to the Supreme Court of Canada with Trinity Western being an appellant out of Ontario and a respondent out of British Columbia, two cases going to the Supreme Court of Canada at the same time with a two-day hearing, uh, which is uh, by our standards, a very long hearing at our Supreme Court. Uh, the hearing was end of November, early December of 2017. You said 2017, and the that's decision when, was handed... We, sorry, Alan. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the argument was in uh, was made, the oral argument made at the end of 2017. The decision was handed down last year. And so how did the Supreme Court come down? Uh, the Supreme Court, it was a, a split decision. So like you, we have nine justices on our Supreme Court. Uh, we got four decisions. Uh, there was a majority of five. Then two judges wrote uh, individually. And then there was a dissent of two. Um, and with the exception of the dissent, um, all of the judges found that uh, the law societies were justified in rejecting Trinity Western's graduates uh, because of this community covenant document. So people who believe that sexuality is morally um, appropriate within uh, a heterosexual marriage are not capable of uh, serving as lawyers, um, according to your Canadian Supreme Court, that they would be disqualified somehow because of their religious beliefs. Well, the court was very careful to say this is not about, you know, individual beliefs. What they said was that these based regulators, they're exercising statutory power to either accept graduates or not accept graduates. They said that their decision to reject all of these graduates coming to British Columbia and Ontario was reasonable. Um, they said because allowing Trinity Western to have a law school could cause harm to members of the LGBT community uh, and, in fact, to the public at large. 
Now, and what was the uh, harm? Did they explain what harm it would do to have a Christian law school? Yeah, so this is the interesting piece. Uh, they said, so, and, and now I'm going to refer to the, the majority of five because, you know, that's really the, the determinant decision. Sure. They said that it would, that, that allowing Trinity Western to have a law school, if a member of the LGBT community wanted to attend who was not prepared to abstain from sexual intimacy during those three years, that effectively they would have to deny a crucial component of their identity. Uh, and that would cause harm to their dignity and to their self-worth. And then they did an interesting twist, saying that what Trinity Western was doing, because this was a mandatory covenant, restricting the conduct of others and effectively imposing its religious beliefs on those who chose to attend this private university. Uh, and ah, that, that chose to attend, yes. Right. So the fact that um, Trinity Western, um, you know, makes no bones about who it is and who it always has been, you know, this is a, a religious community that's set up to provide education with a Christian viewpoint and specifically a, an evangelical worldview. Um, and it is designed to appeal to that specific demographic, which was a really important determinant in the 2001 Supreme Court of Canada case, which Trinity Western won, but here was effectively ignored. They really turned this around and said that Trinity Western was doing was the imposition of beliefs. But from my perspective, what the Supreme Court of Canada has done is allowed these state regulators not to be neutral on an issue of significant religious importance to this particular community. Well, sure, it's not neutral. They're uh, forcing the institution to change it, how it lives out uh, its religious values uh, as a condition of uh, operating a law school. Absolutely. It is. Um, the Supreme Court of Canada acknowledged, yes, this was a breach of freedom of religion, but they said it was a justified one. What they didn't address, and what I think only one of the nine judges addressed in the various uh, decisions, is the fact that this is also a freedom of association issue. These are, you know, this is an institution that's been set up to serve a discrete and particular religious minority in Canada. And we had evidence in the case that, you know, the evangelical community in this country is about 11 or 12 percent. There's no question it, it is a religious minority in this country. And they've set it up to be responsive to their particular needs in this country. Um, and again, what Trinity Western does doesn't break any laws. It's permitted under the human rights legislation in British Columbia to do exactly what it does, uh, which is in and of itself a recognition of their freedom of association. Um, I was really a bit stunned by the decision in terms of uh, not uh, forcing the law societies to recognize their duty to be neutral in matters of religion. That when it comes to issues like this, of sexual intimacy, mm -hmm. it may be that the broader secular community uh, doesn't view it to view the question to be one uh, of moral import. Uh, but the simple fact is that most religious um, traditions, and in particular the evangelical Christian tradition, does view the question of sexual intimacy as one with significant moral um, sure. uh, significance. So we've just got about two minutes left. States, I think most of the energy has been and attention has been on individuals such as, you know, business owners, you know, Jack Phillips and his cake shops, Masterpiece Cake Shop. Much less focus on the challenges and threats to institutional autonomy and religious institutions. How do you see this this principle of, of your Trinity Western case 
you know, and its implications for us south of your border. Well, I don't think that the the reasoning that's been applied in this case um, is going to be confined to uh, to our jurisdiction. Uh, when you read it carefully and you read it, how the majority of the judges viewed this question of harm, um, it really becomes almost impossible to separate what they've said from the notion that these beliefs in and of themselves cause harm to the broader public. If that notion expands, as I've seen it expanding over the last 20 years, um, it becomes significantly easier to override freedom of religion within religious institutions themselves any time that they're subject to a government regulator. Well, and I think we're certainly, you know, there's all kinds of coercive pressures here. Um, We've seen some of them at play in California already. There is tax-exempt status, for one. There are various forms of government grants, student loans, etc., for colleges. Colleges, I think, is where, um, you know, I'm particularly concerned. But, yeah, um, Trinity Western, as I said, is the, you know, the canary in the coal mine. Uh, Canada is addressing an issue that um, we here in the United States may face very, very soon. Our guest today, Attorney Kevin Boonstra, you were lead counsel for Trinity Western, were you not? I was. Well, we appreciate all your efforts there in Canada. Keep up the good work. As we close, remember at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We represent workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, www.churchstate.org. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, on the web at religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ronach. Until next week, let freedom ring.